The world of real estate investing is always changing. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting out, attorney and author Natalia Willett Grice has the expertise to provide valuable guidance on how to navigate the complexities of real estate investing. This is the Legacy Academy. Hello, and welcome to the Legacy Academy. I'm your host, Justin Grice, the COO of LCO Law. And with me is my wife, attorney Natalia Willett Grice, the owner of LCO Law and the author of Tax Deeds, How to Become and Stay Wealthy by Mastering Liens, Possession, and Marketability. Now, for those of you who don't know her, Natalia is the tax deed queen. So over the past 13 years, she's completed nearly a thousand quiet title suits. And I think it's pretty fair to say that you've seen pretty much everything you can imagine in the sphere of tax deeds and quiet title litigation. I would say so. Yeah. (laughs) So for people who don't know what this is, what is a quiet title suit in the context of a tax deed? All right. So let's start out first with talking a little bit about what is a tax deed, right? A tax deed is a type of title that you receive for what is essentially an administrative foreclosure. So this is a foreclosure that's not held by the courts. There's no judge involved. It is just noticed by the clerk of the county court, open to the public to bid because somebody failed to pay their property taxes. And so a quiet title lawsuit is essential to ensure that that administrative foreclosure didn't mess up that they didn't have that tax deed sale in error, that people were really properly notified of what was going on. And it's needed because under Florida statutes, people can challenge tax deeds for up to four years. Okay, four years. That's Mm -hmm. a long time. Yep. All right, so what are the most common challenges that you see um, to a quiet title action? Well, I would say that like what can prolong a quiet title action or what makes it something that really needs to be done carefully is due process, right? So due process is the number one reasons why tax deeds get challenged. Uh, If you were to just examine Florida statutes, you'd be like, oh, the only challenge to a tax deed is, you know, payment of taxes prior to the tax deed sale. But the reality is that's not it, especially under constitutional law. And I'm not just talking about Florida constitutional law. I'm talking about the United States Constitution, right? This is one of the guarantees, due process of law. And what does that mean? That means notice, valid and effective notice that lets people know, hey, your property is going to be lost to non-payment of taxes. So in a quiet title suit, identifying the people that are, need to be notified of this proceedings Um, serving them properly, notifying them properly of the lawsuit, that all requires complying with due process steps. And there's case law on it, there's statutes on it, there's rules of procedure on due process. So it's very, very um, specific. (laughs) And it can be a challenge if your prior owners are deceased, because then you have to find their estate. Uh, It can be a challenge if a property was owned before maybe by an entity and it was dissolved, right? So all of those things are really the the most common challenges to a quiet title action, right? What kind of service was done? Were they notified properly? Did the clerk take every step that they were supposed to take under Florida law and under the case law and under like Supreme Court decisions to make sure that these people really did receive notice, not just the prior owners, but also prior lien holders of record. Right. So what are some other, um, or who are some other people that need to be noticed 
can you give us kind of like a like a rundown of all the possibility or all, all the possible people or entities or other you know organizations that need to be noticed in in something like this? So, in in a quiet title lawsuit, what you're essentially working to do is to make sure that anyone who could potentially challenge your tax deed is put on notice that this tax deed was issued and told uh, to speak up or forever hold their peace, right? So that you don't have to be stuck waiting for four years for your title to be marketable. And even if you wait four years, if your tax deed turns out to be void, (laughs) um, then you wouldn't know without a quiet title action. So you, you really do need to make sure that obviously the prior owners of record are notified, but not just prior owners. Sometimes if the last deed of record that you see is a quick claim deed, that can present some challenges as to the validity of that. So you really want to go back to the warranty deed owners of record. Um, You want to go back to the lien holders of record. These could be homeowners associations. These could be uh, credit card judgment lien holders that, you know, show up as attaching to the prior owners of record. These could be um, mortgages. And you, those are the parties that really need to be identified and connected to the lawsuit and served. IRS liens as well, Department of Justice liens. I mean, all of these entities need to be notified of these proceedings so that they really are quieted out so that you really do end up having marketable title. That sounds complicated. <laughs> and that's why these are not to be taken lightly. Um, and when people think, oh, I just need a simple quiet title litigation, there's no such thing. This is a really... Um, careful type of lawsuit that's done to make sure that you don't end up footing the bill for defending your end buyer's lawsuit sure. when there's a title challenge. Right, right. All right. So what are the uh, some of the most common risks and pitfalls that you see in quiet title litigation? Um, I would say some of the the kind of like issues that I've seen in improperly done quiet title litigation is naming the incorrect parties, right? So I've seen it where there's um, lawsuits that are filed and in these lawsuits, they name the city or they name the county, right? Because there were county liens or, or you know, the city had a mortgage. And the reality is that these, these things are superior and they cannot be quieted out. So if these parties get named, you're going to have very upset uh, county attorneys, city attorneys filing things, responding to that litigation and delaying the litigation um, and making it you, more expensive, making too. <laughs> it more expensive. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so naming improper parties is uh, like one big thing. Uh, you also, of course, have uh, as a, a risk or a pitfall of quiet title litigation is improper pleading. Right. So certain parties have to be notified of proceedings in a very, very specific way, especially federal parties. So I'm talking about the Internal Revenue Service. I'm talking about um, the Uh, Department of Justice. Yeah. Why do these entities have to be specifically, like have to be specifically notified? And why do the pleadings have to be so specific? It's because normally there's this concept um, under the law, especially in common law places, right? We inherited this from England. And so the concept is that the sovereign, the state, cannot be sued. (laughs) And so the only times that the sovereign can be sued is if they've created a statute 
that says I can be sued in these specific circumstances. Well, when they do allow that, those statutes say specifically how you have to sue them. Mm. And so if you don't follow that process, your pleadings are not going to be effective. They can be undone. They can be challenged. And so those are the potential risks and pitfalls of quiet title litigation. I would like to be able to tell people how they're allowed to sue me too. <laughs> yeah, but you're not a sovereign. I, I could be. We've heard those. Sovereign <laughs> oh, citizens. Yeah. Those are <laughs> those are some of the other pitfalls, I guess, you could bring up of quiet title litigation is, right? You can have people that are the prior owners of record or even just the occupants that are squatters, right? And uh, they, they're sovereign citizens, meaning they think that they're their own country. They're the type of people that you'd see file nonsense, put stamps all over it, put their fingerprints on the pleadings. <laughs> Those are like the, the typical things that you see. And they think that they're on their own country. Uh, they call themselves, you know, I'm so-and-so as trustee for blah, blah, blah. And the, this person doesn't exist. Like they those will make for lengthy challenges if you do not have the right attorney who knows how to manage these people and immediately get it to the court's attention that they can't file anything without having counsel. So it's it's all about right knowing how to manage a case. <laughs> yeah. You guys remember when I said that she's seen everything? Uh, there, there's one example, the yeah. sovereign citizen. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the key legal requirements for a successful quiet title? Uh, so, I mean, these are some of the things that we've mentioned, right? It's got to be proper notice for all parties, proper pleadings, like I said, for those federal defendants, not including improper parties, um, making sure that there's a really thorough, well-done search beforehand so that every party that needs to be identified is in the quiet title suit. And then I would say like the other aspects are just making sure that you have somebody very experienced in the process doing this for you. Yeah. Uh, this this is a, a very nuanced kind of like title industry niche type of litigation. And so uh, you, this is not something that your PI attorney should be doing. Or I mean, I've even had like uh, real estate experts, but they're experts in homeowners associations. And they're like, I, I totally messed up doing this case. <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, so they are niche I would say. So key legal requirements, right? Proper notice, proper pleadings, and knowing what notice means. Because sure. these are in-rem proceedings. In-rem means they're relating to real estate. Sure. And so real estate proceedings have to have a specific way of notifying parties. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, again, it's all in the details. <laughs> okay. So one of those details that I'm curious about is what about like jurisdictional, you know, issues. Oh. So like if I live in another state, we have plenty of investors that we deal with that mm -hmm. are in New Jersey or in foreign countries per se. Right. Mm -hmm. What about these quiet title suits? Are they required to be filed in the state county that the tax deed is? Can they be filed in other jurisdictions? What What is your take on that? Oh, so it's a very good question. Uh, quiet title lawsuits uh, need to be filed in the county where the property is located. Sure. Um, and the reason why is because that is where the courts have jurisdiction. So courts have primary jurisdiction where the property is located if it is title-related litigation. The other thing is that title claims or title issues are not for the county courts. The circuit courts have primary jurisdiction on this. So if you were to go to like 
the court of Hillsborough County, to give an example, Hillsborough County is local to us, right? You wouldn't want to file this case in county court. That's improper. They actually don't have jurisdiction for this type of case. You need to file it in circuit. So yes, it's a higher filing fee, but that is what the legislature has determined is the jurisdiction, right, of the circuit courts. Great. That's that's great information. So you at least you know where it needs to be filed. You may not know what to file, how to file it, or who to file it to, but you know where. Right. And you'd also <laughs> know if your attorney was messing up, if they tried filing it in county court saying, well, this is cheaper, except that county court doesn't have jurisdiction right. for that. Which will turn out to make it more expensive. Yes, because then you'd have to move it up to different jurisdiction. Yeah, you'd yep. make it more expensive. Um, so what are some other factors to de- determine whether a quiet title action will be successful? Oh, OK. So the success of quiet title litigation really is dependent on, I would say, having a, a having an attorney that's handling this and calendars everything. Okay, timelines are very very important. Um, there's notice periods there's, and things yes, like that, right? Right. So, for example, um, if you are in the state of Florida and you serve a a private entity or a private person, they have 20 days to respond to a quiet quiet title lawsuit. But if they're an individual, it's 20 days plus five days. <laughs> because the court counts mailing uh, distances. If it's an entity, entities cannot legally represent themselves. They must be represented by counsel. So it's a strict 20 days. So um, to, not to interrupt, but if somebody buys a tax deed through their entity, mm-hmm. so their LLC, mm-hmm. their S-Corp, yep. they're not allowed to file this they're suit. They're not. No, they cannot represent the entity. That's the unlicensed practice of law, and your case will be dismissed. Uh, you must get an attorney at that point. So a lot of the investors that we work with mm-hmm. buy all their stuff through entities. Mm-hmm. So yep. them, for instance, whoever we're representing, cannot legally file this lawsuit. Correct. All right. Correct. That, that's important to yeah, know. Yeah, it's not like an eviction proceeding where if you, you can kind of file the complaint, and if it's uncontested, okay, they might let it go through. It is in circuit court. You must have a counsel if you are an entity that is the, the plaintiff party in this. Okay. That's good to know. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, but uh, like I was saying with, you know, timelines, for example, if you've got a defendant who is the federal government, well, the federal government doesn't use the timelines of Florida law. They're not going to be 20 days. They're going to be 60 days. So you really need to have like it super well done timelines and calendaring in your system or the attorney that you're using needs to have like really good follow-up with these things. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, so my next question was about the length of time, but it sounds like you're going to give me a lawyer answer there and say <laughs> it depends. Yes. But how long does the process of the quiet title usually take? Uh, I would say on average three to nine months. Three to nine months. It's very, it, it's very dependent on who was the prior owner of record and how many liens are there. Sure. Right? Because if the prior owner of record is deceased, well, now you have to go find their heirs. You might have to get an ad litem appointed. So the ad litem would get appointed by the court. They'd need the time to do their report. That usually takes one to two months. Then you have to go and properly serve these people that they've found, or you might have to do a publication. Right. We found that publication is really prominent when the prior owner has been deceased. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's required because at at moments, right, even an ad litem can't identify who those heirs are or where they're located, so you have to then publish. And publication under a notice of action, this is one common mistake that I see a lot of attorneys make. 
when they're not well-versed in this process. They'll do a notice of action, which is what's called constructive notice when you publish, and they'll do it for only two weeks. Uh. And the big mistake that they do this for is because they, in their head, they're thinking two weeks, which is a foreclosure notice of sale timeline. Sure. But constructive notice requires publication for four weeks. So these are the little like nuanced things that, that really require you to have a very well-trained attorney do these for you. But the process can be that long again because you have to find heirs. It's the same thing for dissolved entities. You might have to find like who and where the last officer of record is located. They might be deceased as well. Um, so that's where the process gets longer, right? Sure. It's it's finding people and serving people. That really is the longest time period of a quiet title. Uh, once you've everybody's served, it's a little bit more uh, streamlined. Though granted, the Florida the <laughs> Florida bar changed up some things, making it a little bit longer. Um, not the bar itself, but like the courts. So the courts are the ones that set our rules, right? Rules of procedure. Yay, courts. Um, <laughs> and what they did during the COVID pandemic is that they adopted the federal system for summary judgment motions. Oh. So it used to be that you could file summary judgment, which is just like, hey, there's no material issues uh, of fact, right? No nothing material is at issue. There's no one uh, disputing what the facts are. It's all legal argument. And so summary judgment used to be able to set a hearing 20 days after you filed your motion. Then they adopted the federal standard. And now it's 40 days they minimum. Doubled they yeah. doubled it. They doubled the time period. So for that reason, three to nine months on average. Right. So we, we, we talked a lot about, you know, deceased people and how hard it is to notice. They have to find the heirs. And if you subscribe to our YouTube channel, there's actually a video on there that will tell you the two biggest reasons that properties go to tax deed auction. Yeah. One is that they are deceased. Mm -hmm. You know, somebody dies, their family doesn't live anywhere around. Um, they're not alive to pay their taxes. Boom, tax deed. What's the other other reason that they normally go to tax deed auction? Um, so another big reason that they go to tax deed auction is that these properties are also under foreclosure, not necessarily because the person died, just, you know, because they are... Can't afford to pay their bills. Right. But it, usually it's something like economic downturns. That's why you saw a massive amount of foreclosures from 2008 to 2012. Sure. Um, it could be because they lost their job. It could be because they're undergoing divorce. Divorce is another common one. Yeah. Um, so yeah, these are, these are the reasons. Yep. So check out our YouTube channel. You have plenty of other information on there on tax deeds. It'll be good for you. Um, Natalia, how can investors protect themselves when acquiring these tax deed properties and with, you know, with these potential title issues? So they, what they have to understand first and foremost is that if you were buying at a tax deed auction, you have a title issue immediately, <laughs> immediately. Okay? immediately. Okay. Because none of them are marketable title before those four years pass. That's just the key, right? So you have to understand that first. From that moment, then you, you've got to move on to, okay, I've got to do due diligence. I've got to do real due diligence searches before the auctions. This means that I'm not just looking at how the property is physically and maybe, you know, examining like um, county code violations to get an idea of like, is there overgrowth or is something falling apart? Uh, it's not just looking at whether there's been permits pulled for the property to see if like it's everything that's there is supposed to be there and is authorized to be there. Mm. 
I'm talking about making sure that you are checking to see what liens would survive this. You know, county liens uh, survive tax deed auctions. Um, city liens survive tax deed auctions. Municipal liens, right? Government. Gov- yes, Florida government liens survive these things. Even the criminal fines and penalties of somebody that owned it beforehand survive. Mm-hmm. And these things accrue. So you have to be mindful of that, and that needs to be searched beforehand. And you also need to be checking to see what other foreclosures are active at the same time. Because even though a mortgage foreclosure is inferior to a tax deed sale, a county lien foreclosure isn't. Sure. And so if you're going to buy at a tax deed auction that's on May 10th, and then the county lien foreclosure auction is on June 6th, well, guess what? On June 6th, you're going to lose your property unless you are also the highest bidder at that county lien foreclosure. Right. So it's, it's really important to, to see what's there, to take a look. And if you don't understand, schedule an appointment with a real estate title expert attorney to tell you what it means, what's there. Yeah, the reality is the government, state, federal, they're going to get their money. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that kind of rolls into this next question is like, what are the potential consequences for failing to properly address these title issues? So, you know, potential consequences that you can see is like having to pay your buyers if you did a closing for their cost of litigation defending a title lawsuit, uh, having to return sales proceeds to buyers, um, not recovering the money that you spent in in improving the property if it's challenged, right? Because yeah. although a statute says that you can get some of the money back for what you've done in improvements, the reality is, is that the majority of investors don't keep really good track of those expenses and their receipts, and you need to keep all of your receipts. Yeah, they don't. <laughs> they don't until now, until hearing this yeah. podcast, they're going to say, "Oh wow, I need to, I need to like, track you everything." You need to track correctly. everything. <laughs> yep. Um, you you have the risk of of um, redemption by the IRS if they were not properly notified, and and you know. Um, And you also have the risk of improperly paying HOA assessments. Here's one big thing, right? Homeowners associations, especially the smaller ones, are notorious for not understanding that a tax deed wipes out prior assessments. If you don't do the quiet title litigation, which puts them on notice that, hey, by the way, any assessments that came due prior to this tax deed are now invisible, (laughs) you will have those little associations try their darnest to make you pay for those prior owed assessments. Um, They'll, you know, prohibit you from using common areas and all these other things because they don't understand. And who can get them to understand? A lawsuit generally helps them understand. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. Um, Is there a best time to to file these quiet title actions? Yeah, there, there is. And that's thanks to a change in Florida law that took place, I would say, at the end of 2018. So... It used to be that um, if you had a quiet title lawsuit, um, junior lien holders, right, the HOAs, the mortgages, whoever was there, could have as long as they wanted to file a claim for surplus funds after a tax deed sale. Now that's not the case. Now they only have 120 days. So here's the thing. You want to file the quiet title lawsuit as soon as, I mean, like within days after it's purchased. Why? Because if if you then serve that homeowners association or that mortgage lender or whomever it might be, and they were not properly noticed in the tax deed file, but there's enough surplus that would cover 
that lien from the tax deed sale, they still have time to file for it, and you're a lot less likely to have your tax deed challenged by those right, parties. Right, right. It'll be less adversarial. Right, right. Mm -hmm. And, and um, we had to do this in, in a couple of cases. There was one where the mortgage was not properly notified, and luckily it was timely done, so we were like, oh my God, please go file for the surplus funds, and they were able to pay off that $80,000 mortgage with the surplus funds. Right. Otherwise, my client, in order to keep the property, would have had to have paid that out of their pocket yeah. had the 120 days passed. So how many of you have like $80,000 worth of profit that right. you can sacrifice? Right, exactly. You know? So that's why this is so important. And that's why doing it timely is key. Yes, and an another reason to do it timely is that title companies, mm -hmm won't touch it they won't issue title insurance or anything like that if there's issues on the title correct right exactly so if there's not a quiet title done the majority of title companies will not close on it there are certain title companies that close what's what called clear to sell but you're taking a huge risk on yeah it. i actually have questions about that because um we are part of a lot of the facebook investor groups and mm -hmm. stuff and i've seen a bunch of chatter in these groups and other investor spheres about clear to sell kind of uh, places. And, oh, you don't need a quiet title. We, we can just ensure this search that we did for you. Can you speak to the risks of that and, you know, of doing these like clear to sell type of things instead of doing a, a real quiet title action? Yeah. So first of all, they cost about the same as the legal fees for doing quiet title litigation, yeah. which is like the ridiculous aspect of it. Because one is actually giving you clear, real marketable title. And the other one's just saying, oh, we took a search, we looked, and we think the clerk notified everyone that was supposed to be notified. Right. That's and if, it. if it, you look at the, the fine print, they're only um, guaranteeing these for a, year. for a year. Yep. And you have to pay recertification if you want any additional years. Right. So that's three extra years that somebody could basically challenge that. Correct. Right. And no, the, the whole four years, it could be challenged. Sure. Right. The only thing that this is guaranteeing is like what you paid for your tax deed. That's it. Not like the cost of improvements that you put on the property or anything like that. Right. So the property is not actually marketable by getting a clear to sell certificate because nothing has been actually done to stop the risk of litigation in the next four years. Yeah, you haven't noticed anybody. It's just a search, it's, right? Yeah. What stops the litigation for happening in a quiet title suit is that final judgment being entered. Right. It is that judicial decree that makes the difference, right? And and we know why, you know, those searches are a failure, right? U.S. Supreme Court cases, um, Florida Supreme Court cases, they all clearly state the greatest challenges are due process notice things. And these cases that are there that are undoing these tax deeds, they had sent notices to people, mm -hmm. but they didn't send effective notice. Sure. They didn't send a notice that passed the due process smell test. Right. And that's something that clear to sell can't guarantee. Yeah, it, it sounds to me like it's just trying to circumvent the Constitution, you know, with that due process thing. It's it, What they're just doing is they're offering fake comfort to investors who are in a rush and unwilling to really do things carefully and don't understand the, the uh, risks and consequences of right. not doing something properly. I, I, I've heard a lot that, you know, these title certificates that they're sending out, you know, with the, the clear to sell type of places, these are, you know, cheaper and it's quicker. It may be quicker. I mean, it's probably faster to do just a title search and say, oh, you're covered. But cheaper, we have found, we, we did our research and they are not cheaper. They're about no. the same. 
As, and they have no guarantees. Yeah, like no true guarantee. Like I said, that doesn't stop anyone from litigating. Right. <laughs> um, so what are some of the last like major red flags or warning signs that indicate that you need a quiet title? Or is a quiet title just needed for all tax deeds? Every tax deed property needs quiet title litigation to be marketable prior to that four years of ownership. Yeah, unless they're just going to sit on it. Right, exactly. So, but you're not making money if you're just sitting on right. it. Right. If you're just going to sit on a piece of, like, even if it's vacant land, what can you do with it? You can't even refinance it unless you've got quiet title litigation. Right. Right? Because that lender is going to want a lender's policy on what they're giving Yeah, you. they would want a marketable title and on the, so the land too. It just it doesn't make any sense to not do the quiet title litigation if you want to have marketable title prior to those four years of ownership. And if you also want to be able to improve the property without putting at risk all the money that you're putting into it. And somebody else claiming this wasn't done properly, right? You don't yeah. want to have that. We have found that even some contractors won't uh, won't even build. You know, we had yeah. an issue last year yeah, with builders. where builders wouldn't even touch it without uh, a marketable title. Right. And that's because, you know, they, they're going to put like builders coverage on it and everything. And they don't want to be the subject of a lawsuit right. by the prior owner going, you've trespassed on my property, mm -hmm. you've injured my property by making these changes that I didn't authorize, that right. was an unlawful, you know, unlawful uh, conveyance by the county. So that's why we do encourage everybody to get a tax deed quiet title. Excellent. Excellent. So lastly, what are the three things that will help them, you know, the investors with ensuring successful quiet title and, you know, protecting that investment? So I would say, right, like three things that you should take from today's conversation on this, right? Number one, you really do need to do your due diligence search beforehand so that you understand what is going to survive mm -hmm. the issuance of this tax deed, what you're actually going to be out of pocket on, county liens, city liens, and certain types of federal liens, which I talk about in my book. Um the next thing you need to realize is that the property is not really marketable without a quiet title. Those clear to sell certificates are not guaranteeing anything. They will not stop a party from filing a lawsuit. The only thing that does is that final judgment quieting title. Mm -hmm. And then the, the third thing I would say is that time matters. Okay. You want to file these lawsuits well within 120 days of you getting your tax seat so that if somebody was missed, they can petition for surplus funds and therefore minimize what you might be out of pocket otherwise if they do or can challenge that tax deed. All right, that's awesome. Thank you so much for all of that great information. And go on Amazon and find yourself a copy of Natalia's book. It really will help you in your investments. It'll help you learn more about the process so you can invest smartly, all right? So the book is Tax Deeds, How to Become and Stay Wealthy by Mastering Liens, Possession, and Marketability. Thank you so much for joining us. And if you like what you heard, hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast application. And then tune in every Monday to get more tips on how to avoid investing's legal pitfalls and take your real estate business to the next level. You can also find us online at lcolawfl.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash the Legacy Academy FL.